and welcome everybody to another episode of EM Over Easy. Drew and I are here recording with uh, a guest remotely. Anand Swami Nathan's coming to us from New Jersey. Swami, thanks for coming on. Of course. Happy to be back. You've been busy um, over the last couple months. Got a new job, got a new gig, working on uh, trying to not not be in your car as much. Yeah, it's been great. So I uh, left NYU. I'm at St. Joe's in Patterson, New Jersey, which is another residency program, big inner city hospital, but it's been a fantastic move. I was 13 years at Bellevue and NYU and obviously got great training and was time for a little bit something different. So uh, yeah, cut my commute down from three hours a day to one hour a day, which is pretty sweet, uh, but it's a busy hospital, super sick patients. The residents are fantastic. So it's been a lot of fun. I think that's better than your commute, Andy. What? Less than an hour a day. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I moved a little farther away from the hospital, so I yep, totally get that. Swami, that sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. So the only problem is it's hard to keep up with my podcast, so you know, doing my best. <laughs> you have less dedicated <laughs> you have less dedicated time to listen to podcasts. That's very, very true. So we brought you on today, something a little different. Last time we had you on and it was all about you. Um, and you did really well because you're pretty awesome. Because we like it was you. A, it was a pretty easy episode. To and record. I'm totally self-centered, so it was great. <laughs> it worked out well. But we wanted to bring you on for one of our episodes that was actually Drew's brainchild, something called a clinical grind. And we're going to run through a situation that I think we've all been through and kind of work our way through this on how um, somebody who would maybe go through this in the future would handle it. So you, re- you ready to get started? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. All right. So this was a, a day like any other day. Um, I went to work at a shop that um, I work at pretty regularly, but it's not my full-time gig. And I went there and... You know, I'm walking into work. Everything's going to be fine. I walk in and on the way in to see the pharmacist. He gives me a high five because he's happy I'm coming into work. He knows he has to go make a bunch of extra drugs for sick people. I um, sit down, and you know what? I'm like, you know, I, have, I haven't checked my mailbox in a while. And so the dreaded mailbox the physicians have, it's a little slot in the wall. So I go over to my mailbox, and I'm going through the letters. And like every mailbox, it's a lot of junk. It's, you know, oh, you forgot to, you know, this RSVP for this hospital gathering. And, oh, by the way, don't forget to sign this piece of paperwork. And so I get through it, and at the bottom there's this envelope that says, confidential, please reply. Never a good sign. <laughs> Never a good envelope, right? And so, um, Swami, I don't know if you've ever gotten one of these before. I know Drew and I have both gotten these. And so what what kind of goes through your mind when you get this letter? Because I didn't open it right away. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, confidential, please, um, please reply. And I didn't want to open it. So what kind of goes through your mind with that? Is this think? like college admission letters? Like, I'm not going to open it. I don't... <laughs> Thin envelope or thick yeah, envelope? This is, um, this yeah, this wasn't the big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I avoid my mailbox as much as possible. Uh, I try to avoid these letters. And, you know, this is one of those things where if you, if you knew it was there, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have gone before your shift, right? Because you just want to work your shift with your head clear and pick that stuff up afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't open it before going to work either. Or at least that's what I would tell myself that I would do. I wouldn't open it. But of course, you're going to open it right away. Once you I, see I mean, it, I would, you can't not open it. Yeah. You can't not open it. I mean, maybe it's a publisher's clearinghouse telling you you won $10 million. It's, it's a possibility. But since it's a hospital stationary, it's much more likely this is going to be a case. It's going to be something that went bad. Mm-hmm. And they're talking to you about you know getting your statement or a panel that's going to be put together, whatever. But it's not going to be it's not going to be good news. Yeah, completely. And even worse is when it's a confidential letter in your mailbox uh, at your place of employment that doesn't have a stamp on it because that's internal and that's not not what you want. It's not yeah. like the confidential letters that aren't confidential at all. They get sent to your house. Yeah, I, I had one of these not too long ago, uh, my first uh, peer review case, and uh, well, it ended up not being a huge deal. And I, I can share a little bit about that later. I, I mean, my. I, I had palpitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't sleep the night afterwards until I got a little more insight from the the chair of the peer review committee to find out maybe not as big of a deal as I originally thought. I thought I was going to lose my job, yeah. Uh, just because 
nobody prepares you to go through getting that letter, whatever yeah. the letter is. It's not something you talk about in residency. Your attendings don't tell you, hey, I just got notified that I'm going to get sued or that there's a bad outcome in a case. And I think it's a great thing that you're bringing up, Andy, because it's something we all need to talk about and we need to know about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your mind jumps to the worst thing first, right? So first thing you think is, oh my God, somebody that I took care of died and it's my fault. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you come to is, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. Um, and and there might be no justification of any of that stuff in there. And you're right, like we never talk about it. And a lot of why we never talk about it is anytime you have a malpractice case, the first thing they tell you is don't talk to anybody about it. That's right. And so, you know, we all think when we get these letters, we're like, oh my God, only this is only me. I'm the only one who gets this. And that's why I think it is a really good topic. You know, we have three physicians here with quite a bit of experience and we've all gotten these letters. Like this happens to absolutely everyone. And so the first thing the listeners should should know is that when you get one of these things, um, congratulations, you've joined a club. Uh, it's a very special club. Uh, we're not very elitist. We'll take anybody. No, and we do. Anybody. We take everybody. That's right. But you got to remember the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah, that's and I, I kind of felt that way when I got this letter. I got this letter and I opened it like you guys talked about, and it had three things: you know, boilerplate language about how the review committee worked, a patient's MRN and the date of care, and then just they found um, the, the the care that I gave was found to be unsatisfactory. And so at the beginning of a busy shift, you know, I, if, I, I actually find that most of the time I see and review your charts or get that a bounce back that unsatisfactory was in fact unsatisfactory oh thanks man that makes do, me drew do you put like a red stamp across every chart yeah, unsatisfactory. Yeah. i mean even the virtual like the electronic chart right just Ex- unsatisfactory. exactly unsatisfactory why there's all those flag charts in my mailbox yes, that's why. <laughs> good, good. Not, not not the case at all but um so so i, I got this and literally like i was kind of stunned and you know and as it happens a shift happens and so had some sick people took care of it put the letter in my bag can't say I forgot about it because it was in my mind the entire day. It was too busy to kind of take a look at it. So my shift ended. And then, you know, there was the – they gave me an MRN. Can I look at this chart? And so I actually called my medical director and I said, hey, here's the deal. I got this letter. Can, am I allowed to look at this? Because, again, never being taught how to go about this. He said, look, you can look at it. It's internal. This isn't being reviewed by anybody. It's just our hospital's committee saying they didn't like something that you did. So I look at the chart, and sure enough, I look through the chart, and I kind of do it in oral board review style, like what was the presentation? What did I do? What was their vital signs? What did I do? And I work through the entire thing, and I think I gave pretty good care. Within the standard of care, I diagnosed what was going on. She was started on appropriate treatments. She was admitted to the appropriate floor. Um, and then, of course, she had, she had a, a, an unfortunate outcome in the hospital. Didn't die, but had an unfortunate uh, kind of 24 hours. And then I thought to myself, how do I go about giving my side of the story? Because it, it felt kind of one-sided from that perspective of, here's this edict. Your care was unsatisfactory. So when you guys have done this, how, how do you think is the best way to appeal or kind of get your side of the story out so where they can at least know more than what's in the chart. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is like, you can definitely look at the chart and that, that is all of our first inclination with paper charts. It was always a little bit uh, hedgy to go to medical records and pull the chart mm-hmm. because, you know, in the past physicians have changed charts afterwards when they knew yeah. there was something wrong. And that's never a good thing to do because if they're contacting you, they've probably already photocopied the chart. And so they're going to know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that it is totally dishonest and wrong, they're also going to find out. But with electronic charts, everything's timestamped. So yeah. you can go in and look. And that is the first inclination for all of us to do. And, and don't withhold yourself from doing that because you want to know. You want to know, you know, did the patient die? You know, what did I do? What did I do wrong? And I want to know right away because I don't want to do it again. 
right? Like what if my care actually was unsatisfactory? What yeah. if I actually missed something? God forbid that I, I should then do the same thing again to somebody else. So I want to know right away. And the problem with these letters is they don't actually tell you what was unsatisfactory. Nope. You know, the thing that might've been unsatisfactory is like, oh, Andy, you know, like you kind of dropped the F-bomb uh, near the patient and she wrote you up about it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, I can fix that. I cannot yeah. drop the F-bomb at work. Uh, I can make that change. Um, or it could have been something more medical. So you just don't know what that unsatisfactory is and you want to get a handle on that. So I think that's the first thing I want to know is what was actually wrong with the care. And then again, it's going to be tricky because they're going to tell you, you can't really talk to anybody about the case. So you can't even run this by someone or have someone else Mm -hmm. look at the chart and say, what do you think of my care? Um, now a good root cause analysis, a good internal root cause analysis has an external reviewer who is one of your colleagues, who Mm -hmm. is a emergency physician, look at that chart and write it up and say, you know, here's what happened. Here are the difficult things. Here's how I think about the care. And I've been involved in a number of those root cause analyses from the side of you're the reviewer of this chart. Tell us what you think of your colleague's care. They don't necessarily tell you who the the person is who, uh, who gave the care, but they want to know what you think about it. And the vast majority of the time when I've seen these, I'm like, they did everything right. You know, this person had a bad outcome, like, Two days later, and there's nothing they could have done about that. And every once in a while, you'll find little nuances in there, and and you can talk about those. So I think what I would want to know is what is the process? Like what's going to happen next with this chart? Um, Is one of my colleagues going to review it? And who can I talk to about this? Who am I allowed to discuss the case with and go forward? And, you know, depending on where this comes from, usually it's a QA person that you can talk to and get that information. Um, This is not uh, a med mal case, what you're describing, but if it gets to that point, then it's the hospital's lawyer who you can ask those questions to have, you know, who am I allowed to talk to and, and that kind of thing. And I think the reality is in, in the internal peer review situations, you can actually kind of talk to anybody you want because it's not an external issue. Um, in my situation, and fortunately at, at the primary site that I'm at, it's a uh, multidisciplinary peer review committee. And I had my first letter was triggered off a, a um, unscheduled ICU transfer, right? What is I'm like, what, what the heck does that mean? What does I, that mean? I don't schedule any of my transfers in advance from the emergency department. <laughs> in 16 hours, this patient will decompensate. You right. want to transfer them. Yeah. So somebody that I admitted to the ICU uh, who then had some abnormal imaging that the facility I was at was incapable of, of handling should it have progressed to a more immersion situation. So it triggered a, a unexpected transfer out of our ICU to another facility. And interestingly, I had this letter in my box within 72 hours of seeing the patient. Um, wow. But it was very specific. It said, this is what what happened, please respond with your explanation as to why you did not obtain that imaging in the emergency department and a few other specific questions. So at least I had a, a sense on my first time, you know, my, my first time exactly what, what I was up against. I had a chance to review the chart. And fortunately, working opposite me on one of the other pods in the ED was our department chair, who's also on the multidisciplinary peer review committee. And I showed it to him and he said, first of all, I don't know anything about this yet. I hasn't made it to my desk. It probably just made it to the chair. It was automatically triggered. Um, but here's what you need to do. So I had somebody to hold my hand through the process yeah. and reassure me that I wasn't going to get fired. And mm-hmm. after he had a chance to look to the chart said, at most, it would be questionable care and more likely it was appropriate care with an unexpected result, which is what my case ended up, first case ended up being. Yeah. But thank goodness that it was a targeted letter. And, and I would argue that that's the way peer review should be handled. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. The people who are doing this need to know better. They need to know how this affects us. And so you really want physicians on that group, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Some of these are just triggered by um, uh, 
patient relations or they're triggered by, uh, you know, people who are not doctors, who are lawyers, and they don't understand the angst that we go through when those things come through. But the good systems, the good root cause analysis systems in hospitals, they are run by physicians who know this is what's going to happen when when this person gets this. So let's alleviate some of that anxiety uh, up front and let them know what's wrong. So, you know, we had a fantastic QA person uh, at NYU. I mean, really like a great colleague, incredibly smart, and he totally overhauled the system to make it in a way that was beneficial to us, that not only would all of the cases that had problems be brought up, but we would actually do it in a way that actually made us better at what we do. Yeah. And and, and kind of luckily, so I reached out to my director and it was odd. He hadn't heard about the case, which was kind of odd from from their perspective. But I called him and said, hey, I actually looked at the case. This is This is what happened. And luckily, he was able to get on board and he called for a root cause analysis, which was really nice. Because then it was him or it was one of our docs, um, a specialist that I admitted the patient to, the team that was involved with their care. And they actually were not looped into the fact that my letter was even sent, mm. which was kind of nice to where when it was actually all the players around the table. They were like, your care was fine. I'm not sure how this got sent because it was, again, triggered by some some non-clinician. But for a week, I was sweating bullets, went, went home every night, was losing sleep. Again, like Drew said, I was like, if I can lose my clinical privileges here, is this going to get reported to the state medical board? Like I had all these waves of emotions. And so I guess the, the, the key thing that I would say as far as a take-home is make sure, like you guys have all said, is find somebody in your group that's in charge of this and get them involved early because they'll go find the details for you. Because I thought I was going to have to do all these hoops myself. Like I'm going to have to call the quality chair. I'm going to have to call for a root cause analysis. But I got one person involved and they took care of making sure all that other stuff happened because each group has that person. Absolutely. And, and let me ask Andy, during that week when you were waiting to find out, you know, kind of what was going to happen and the root cause analysis getting triggered and talking to the other docs who were involved, um, did you talk to anybody aside from your chair about the case or about what was going on? Like, did you tell, like, did you tell your wife what was going on in your, in your head and in your life? I have to admit that I didn't because um, I was instructed not to talk about the case until they had their, the RCA. Um, and, and this and, is a really yeah. important point. So they always tell you you can't talk about the case. Yeah. And, and you know, the reason you can't talk about the case when it's a legal case is that, you know, if you if you talk to Drew and tell him everything happened, now they can subpoena Drew. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't want that. For, the lawyer doesn't want it because they don't want to overcomplicate things. But you also don't want your buddy to get subpoenaed about yeah. the case. Yeah. Right. So like subpoenaed for your case. You're yeah. Yeah. Right. Care. But here's the thing. What you can talk about. And, and I actually discussed this with Mike Weinstock years ago on MRAP mm-hmm. is that you can talk to other people about how how you're feeling. These are two different issues, right? So yeah. I, the first case I had uh, that was a med mal case was a year after I finished training. Um, and I had this case and it went on for about four or five months before they basically were like, nothing you did was wrong. And they removed my name from the thing. And at, when it was done, I told my wife what was going on. She's like, oh, that's why you've been a miserable bastard for the last four months. <laughs> and you know, she knew that, that something yeah. was going on and I knew something was going on, but I didn't tell her. And she didn't ask because she was like, you know, you're not telling me like there's might be a reason. And so, you know, in talking to other lawyers about it, talking to her about it, and she's a psychologist. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I really was stupid about not, you know, sharing how I was feeling. Yeah. And what they all said is you can talk about you can talk about how this is affecting you. And, and you know, that's what your partner's there for. That's what your support, your friends, your family, yeah. whatever it is. So you can go to them and be like, you know, something bad's going on at work. This is what it is. And, and I'm feeling really low about it. And, you know, since then, knowing that when I've had other kind of, you know, either uh, something cut pulled for a root cause analysis or whatever it was, and I've expressed that to my wife or I've expressed that to a friend, it's been really helpful to kind of alleviate the burden from me uh, of having to hide this. So it's like, no, I can't tell you what happened in the case, but I can tell you how I'm feeling about it. 
Yeah, and it's something we have to do. Um, yeah. No no different than a bad outcome that doesn't end up making it to peer review, need a root cause analysis, get a lawsuit, whatever. We need to be open with our feelings to mm-hmm. those that are important around us. Once so they know what we're going through, so when we are being total bastards, in the words of Swami, that they understand. Uh, but also so we can get it off our chest because that's how we process it and get over it. You have to have that group, whether it's another physician or just a close friend, a spouse, that you can be open with. If we keep everything internal, that's that's bad. Yeah. And of course, you know, my wife, we, we had a long conversation about this and she's like, so when these things happen, what do you do? And I'm like, well, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to push them really far down and you let them build up <laughs> until they're right at the top. And then you just explode on somebody. Uh, and then you feel good because you've let it all out. Uh, and she's like, yeah, so that's not healthy. That's not how you deal with things. But a lot of us, you know, whether it was implicit or explicit, we were taught that's how we deal with these things. Mm-hmm. Push it down. Don't tell anybody. Just grin and bear it. Uh, you'll be a better person for it. It'll put hair on your chest. Uh, you'll have more character, whatever it is. And, you know, it, it's it's I am not like I'm not like the touchy feely person. Uh, this is what I have a wife who's a psychologist who knows better about this stuff. Yeah. But it is really important for us to be honest and open about what is going on in our lives so that, like you said, we can unload that stuff. We can share that burden with our friends and family and then try to move on. I just wanted to kind of – so big take-homes I think from this so that we, we can all agree on is, is that get the letter and just open it. It, it. It's like ripping a Band-Aid off. The more you know about it sooner, I think, the better you can tackle it. Know that you can look at the case. It's totally cool for you to do it. If for some reason you're writing on paper cases or electronic, don't alter the medical record. That just makes yeah, that gets just, you in trouble. that's just a no. That's bad. And then I think the last thing that I think has been kind of a consensus is, is that find out who in your group handles this. Talk to them about it. Because usually, unless if it's truly an atrocity, these are usually misunderstandings. They're triggered for unknown reasons. And when it's all said and done, it's a great actually learning experience. Because I think my big take-home was is I did this. like We went through an RCA. I actually got built a better relationship with some of the consultants that I had on that case to where now when I work there, I call them on the phone. It's first-name basis. We like It actually has made me a better provider because it makes me more aware of the resources, resources are available and gives me faith in the system that I currently work in to where it, it is um, about taking good, taking good care of patients, but it's also there to protect us. That last point is so important. When you go, if you get called for a root cause analysis, whatever, try to go in with an open mind and learn something from it. Uh, you know, Drew, from from your case, you know, it, a lot of times it's that you admit somebody, you put them there, and then what you find out is like, oh, this is something that this hospital can't handle in the ICU, so I should have transferred this patient. Like, I didn't know that because my, my old hospital, this was totally uh, reasonable to put in the ICU and it could be handled here. So you find out more. I mean, let's be honest. We don't work on the floors. We don't work in the ICU. And so we don't always know what those places can do and what they can handle. I, I remember I got a, a root cause analysis. Uh, nothing happened but the patient, but I got written up because I admitted a patient with hyponatremia. They were like 118, but they were asymptomatic. So I put them on the floor and they got really upset about it because they're like, well, one of the things that the consultant recommended is that the patient needs Q one hour basic metabolic panels. And we can't do that on the floor. And I'm like, that's really good for me to know. Like, I, I don't work on the floor. I don't know those things. So try to go in with an open mind and try to get something out of it. And for those of you out there who are interested in these kind of things, it's good to have good docs on these QA committees, on these RCA committees, who can really be honest with you about like, hey, here's the things that you need to learn from this, which again, I was really lucky to have that in my old job. I'm really lucky to have it in my new job. Uh, Good physicians who are able to really distill it down and be like, here's what you take home from this. And here's how you can be a better practitioner. Absolutely. And if your hospital doesn't have a 
ED peer review, group peer review, um, and it's multidisciplinary, make sure that there is a very good physician sitting on that committee. I mean, if you think about an emergency department, typically the ED volume is going to be four times what the admitted patient volume is of a hospital over the course mm-hmm. of a year. Um, we see exponentially more patients than the rest of our colleagues. And just like we don't always know, as Swami pointed out, what goes on upstairs or the, the rules for each floor and what can be handled where, Oftentimes, the people that are making decisions on our cases don't know what we're going through in the emergency department. So it is imperative that we have good representation on whatever type of review committee exists in your hospital if it is not just a department review committee that exists. I actually have the fortune now of sitting on a standalone ED peer review committee, and it's been enlightening um, to see what comes through the discussions we have. I'm probably a better provider for it, um, but also standing up for the care that our providers give or or sometimes saying, no, that wasn't appropriate, but figuring out a way to address it and remediate it so that everybody is better for it. But again, it really should be mandatory, right? I mean, you should insist that your case is reviewed by somebody who is also emergency physician. Absolutely. Your group should just say, you know, we're all going to do it. We're all going to do it. We're going to take turns doing it. We're going to share that burden because you do learn a lot from it. And it's also the right thing for your colleagues and for you. Well, Swami, we appreciate you hopping on for this episode of A Clinical Grind with Ian over easy. And as always, the, the door is always open for you to come back on whenever you want. Um, for anybody who takes a listen to this, we will throw some show notes. There, I actually found some really good literature specifically about this um, from previous MRAP episodes, as Swami referred to, and some other great documents from New England Journal of Medicine, Annals of Emergency Medicine that we'll throw in the show notes. And don't forget to follow us on our social media pages at emovereasy.com, our blog site, and at EM over easy on Twitter. Thanks so much, guys. And if you don't follow Swami, well, you should already be following me. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for having me. I'm happy to come back anytime. Love talking to you. Guys. I gave a letter to the postman. He put it in his sack. Right and early next morning, he brought my letter back. He wrote upon it, return to sender.